Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm back with the plaid planner. It's a new shade. Um, I'm kind of curious. Did you pick that up in Aspen? I know you were on a vacation. How, yeah. how was that for your spring break, Elias? Uh, you know, that was a lot of fun. That was a great trip. Um, and no, I didn't get the shirt out there. But for the listeners, I do have a funny story. And uh, while I was out there, I was calling this a series of unfortunate events. The guys I was with, I kept referring to it as that. So this all happened in an 18-minute period, basically. So the first thing that happened, I'm standing in line at the chairlift. I just And I wasn't paying attention to what was going on. So I just followed the person ahead of me. And my buddy goes, Eli, no, we're not going yet. So I stopped in the middle of the platform. And what I should have done was just kept going and sit down on the chair with that person. But I don't go out there very often. So I made a newbie mistake and just froze on the middle of the platform. And I got ran over by the chairlift. (laughs) And then it pushed me off of the platform over to where the guys stand and they're working. And did, the, did those guys give you any help at all? No. So that, <laughs> that made it even better. So people are laughing and the guy working goes, I got to take your skis off, bud. And he clicks them both off and then just walked away. Didn't help. Didn't care at all. So that was the first thing. So then we start going down this run and the guy was with we the group. We should not have taken him up there, but we did. So now I'm sticking with him to help him. So I'm going slower and just waiting for him. Well, he gets going too fast and collides into me and runs me over. So we have a collision in the middle of the mountain and skis go flying. And so we get gathered, we get our stuff. Two minutes later, he falls and his ski falls off. So I ski over to pick it up and I accidentally run his ski over and I fall and my pants rip all the way from the crotch down to both of my knees. <laughs> and brain, I just took the tags off that morning before we started skiing. So uh, I kept telling my buddies, I was like, man, I really got in harm's way at the end of the day there. You know, <laughs> we all think skiing and snowboarding sounds fun, but I, I have my own story. Like 30, I, yeah. I, thought, I thought I was going to take up snowboarding and my wife's like, nah, this isn't a good idea. You shouldn't do that. You're going to break your arm. I'm like, no. A lot of people that get hurt doing this are like people that are places they're not supposed to be. Um, and at the time, right, my they, uncle, they go out of bounds. They go, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, they're going off jumps. I'm just going down like the bunny hill, you know. And uh, my uncle at the time was a snowboard instructor out there. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll teach you. And I've been like snowboarding for like a month or two. And I, I will never forget it was President's Day. And, uh, you know, snowing. We were first chair. He had a condo up the mountain. So this is going to be a great day. And five minutes in, I'm like, trying to stop and I catch a heel side edge and sure enough, I broke my arm. You broke and, your arm. And and we so I'm the first person down at like the emergency, you know, they ski you down the mountain, <laughs> put you on the chair lift, ski you back down the front. I'm the first person like in the me- medical unit. And my uncle sends my wife a text and says, Hey, Roger broke his arm and they're like, ha ha funny. He's like, no, really. He broke his he arm. Did. So uh, you, that, you know what the moral of the story is? Harm's way is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. My wife said, you know, you're 30 years old, you're 40 pounds overweight, you have no business going on the side of a mountain. And uh, after the accident, I sold all my gear. I don't have anything. I'm never going to go on the side of a mountain again. That was it. We're calling her good. So yeah. with that I'll be said, back. I'll be back out there. I appreciate that that story. You you told me that in the office. I thought that was super funny, especially that they didn't help you get back on the ski lift. That was they the just, best part. They just swept you to the side. That was the but, best part. You know, I thought it'd be kind of fun, too, to, to update. You know, we did a show on March Madness last week. We went through the first round now. And 
I had a friend of mine tell me, well, interestingly enough, this is the highest seeded March Madness Sweet 16 ever. Right, meaning, meaning the most upsets. The most upsets. Highest seed is in highest number. And one of the yeah. things we talked about was, and we compared it to your financial plans, try to stick with you know, the blue chip programs, right? Yeah. The big programs. And while it's still the highest seeded, if you look, three of the four number one seeds are still alive in the tournament. So, so if someone went out in their bracket and picked all number one seeds to make it to the final four, they're still alive 75% of the time, right? Yeah, Versus if they true. try to make the niche pick. So um, did you have any other takeaways, Elias, about that show, what we talked about a little bit, how, how it's still, even though things maybe didn't paint out how we thought, still the big schools are still there, just like your really good, solid investments typically over time kind of went out. Yeah, so, well, here's what we do know. There's no perfect brackets left, so... Whoever wins all these challenges, they will not have a perfect bracket. And just like we were saying, your financial planning, it's not always going to be perfect, but needs to be fundamentally sound and all those type of things. Um, Oral Roberts, that's the Cinderella this year. And how many people picked them? You know, we, we don't know. We can only speculate. But how many people thought they were going to make a run? And, and now, well, now is when it really matters. Are they going to keep winning? So we'll find out. Um, you know, and everyone knows that listens, I picked the Hawkeyes. I got just, I'm let down once again. So anyway, on to next year. We don't ever make it out, make it to the sweet 16. (laughs) We can't win a second game, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did an office pool or a bracket in here and we do a random draw and I've got one team still alive. I've got Loyola still in it. And an interesting fact that I heard about them is if they win one more game, from a winning percentage standpoint, they'll now be the college with the highest winning percentage in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, let's see what the record is after they play as many games as like Duke or yeah, somebody I, like that. And that, that's what we looked at. They have a yeah. small sample size, but it seems right. like when they get there, um, who do they have? Do they have Sister Mary? Was it Sister Mary a few years ago? I think so, and she's still there. They showed her yeah. on TV. Yeah. So that that's my that's my only hope in the office pool per se. Um, and the other thing I think it's important to remember, you mentioned there's no more perfect brackets. Like they're all eliminated, right? Well, who was it? Was it Nigel? Was it the gentleman's last name who had the longest running perfect bracket? And he was perfect, but he still didn't win or finish in the top two hundred thousand people. Yeah. So having record, a perfect bracket doesn't his matter. His record stands now. Yeah. It stands. He got a participation trophy. We decided the other night. Mm-hmm. You told me you got a got a plaque for finishing out of the top two hundred. I called that yeah. a participation trophy. Yeah. He got a plaque for setting the record. Yeah. 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 So um, something people may be hearing a lot about. I know it's kind of captivated the news. The last six months, but Bitcoin and more recently, these things called NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Um, And I know I put you on a little research mission, Elias, to go research what non-fungible tokens are. And I have a a lot of articles and one actually came through today. But today, um, the New York Times sells a non-fungible token NFT column for $560,000. And the funny thing about it was set up as a joke. So... Let, let's Funny how about joke. how about you kind of tell us a little bit about what NFTs are, and then I'm going to talk about some of these articles and some of the madness that's happening. And you know, we kind of relate this back. And I don't know if we've talked about it on the show before, but I had a buddy who said I I planned on the Beanie Baby and baseball card retirement 
because yeah, that my, you that you did or that that, did. Was, that I did because you, yeah. you know when I was younger, my parents and grandparents were buying me all these Beanie Babies because you know back in like the '90s they're selling for all this money, and '80s and '90s baseball cards are super valuable. Well, I tried to sell my card collection. They basically told me to burn it. <laughs> I mean, they're like, I don't want any of that. And then I got all these Beanie Babies that oh man, this is where I'm going to make all my money. Those are gone. And I don't know if the NFT, these non-fungible tokens are similar to that or not, but why don't you explain a little bit about what an NFT actually is, and then we can kind of get into that. Yeah. Okay. So NFT, these non-fungible tokens, it's they're using blockchain technology, so it's an application of blockchain. Um, and for the last six, six to eight months, the hottest – NFT out there was uh, the, these things called NBA Top Shots. And what people are doing is they're buying and trading for different dollar amounts, um, NBA Top Shots, and it's highlights. So it could be a highlight of Stephen Curry making a big three. I think the most expensive one, it was like someone bought for 250,000-ish. It was one of LeBron James' most famous dunks. So really when I first heard about NFTs and the the people were trading the NBA highlights. So I just my initial reaction was, I don't think this is cool. I don't really see what the deal is here. Um, but I've my opinion has changed since, and some of it is uh, artists are using NFTs to create digital art. So for example, the Kings of Leon came out with an album on an NFT, and they only made like 150. 150 of them and so i don't know if it was like the top people in their fan club got them um and some of the neat things are an artist can attach royalties to these digital assets so instead of like traditionally someone would paint a painting and sell it and you get whatever the sell price is that time well you can attach a royalty to these somehow where every time there's a transaction the original artist can make a royalty for it changing hands um, so I've kind of come around to the idea, especially after I heard about um, the Kings of Leon making that album. I'm a big music fan. And I love music. So that's kind of an application where I started to think, okay, I can see how these are going to be cool. So, but, but what it really is, it's a way to authenticate something because it has a digital element attached to it. So if you right. think about it, I watch Pawn, Pawn Stars a lot. Yeah, whatever. I like to watch the Pawn guys in in LA or in uh, uh, Las Vegas. And what are they, what happens when they bring in a, a piece of art? Let me call my guy. Yeah. I need to get him down here and check it out and make sure it's real. Well, basically what the non-fungible token can do for art, it's the verification process. And there could be other applications for this. Think about baseball cards. What's baseball cards, memorabilia, autographs, signatures. It's just a way to really authenticate this, even though it's not mainstream yet. Um, in fact, there's a digital artist. His uh, last name is Beeple. They just sold $69 million worth of art at Christie's through NFTs. $69 million. And some of this is it's just the first people doing it. But I think people should be aware of what this is. It doesn't mean it's an investment, but people are definitely speculating here. Um yeah. I, I know, like you said, Top Shots are the most popular because they can own their favorite clip. It'll be yet to be seen if this is like the Beanie Baby retirement right, or not. Um, yeah, but, I, and I want to – I mean, me personally, I want to ever probably look at it that way, but – I don't think I can afford it. Well, <laughs> well, right, right. But 
the more I think about it, so a Tom Brady rookie card just sold for like 1.2 or $1.3 million. Well, okay, so what is a baseball card? It's a picture printed on a piece of cardboard where to me as these NFTs keep coming, it might be more legitimate to store that image digitally in a like in a secure fashion because there's no there's no um, like taking care of it and storing it in the right environment and all the ownership is tracked through the documentation of the blockchain. Authentication is right. really the key because you know I'll, I'll get on Facebook and I'll see someone selling all these baseball cards. I don't know anything and I'm not buying cards anymore because that didn't work out for me in the 80s and 90s. I have a good friend who does. Um, but I, I look at those and say, well, how did anybody know if that's real unless it was authenticated, which actually costs money. And then it's still subject to an opinion of a third party, right? There's there's no like perfect way to grade these things. So NFTs, if you're hearing about them, it's basically the ability to you know, have a digital image, a digital piece of artwork that's on blockchain. And it's the ability to authenticate it. Um, and you're gonna hear more about it because the price of this stuff are just exploding through the roof. Yeah, and I'm sure at some point it's gonna be the next get rich quick uh, scheme that's out there. I mean, it's already gaining that kind of traction a little bit. Well, and who knows if it lasts. It may be real, it could be, you know, like CryptoKitties, which they came out in the, you know, that was a blockchain type game back in 2017. and. They started selling these crypto kitties in this game and the price fell off. Now they came back a little bit in the last year, but that could just be this whole craze. So I think we're just seeing a lot of changes in collectibles, how people collect things, how people think they're gonna build wealth in the future. Uh, because a lot of these people are buying these as a way to help you know build their wealth long-term. They believe they're valuable or they just have so much money, potentially they don't care if, if they lose it, but I don't think that's the case. I actually think that they believe at some point this will be valuable in the future. Yeah, yeah, they could. I mean, I'd, I honestly, I, I really don't know. I, I think NFTs are gonna be around. There's definitely enough application for it between the images, the highlights, music, all that type of stuff. And part of, part of it probably becoming, in holding its value is becoming more easily accessible. And as things become more easily accessible for people to buy, sell, acquire, it seems like more people start to partake in in that um, in the buying and selling of it. And one thing, you know, Molly, who helps us put this show together, came in my office before this meeting, um, showed us something that is how she can acquire some bitcoins or fractional bitcoins. And we had a really unique conversation with a gentleman a couple of days ago. Um, that arguably of all the people I've met, and, and we've researched this, he really understands how Bitcoin works and he's passionate about it. Um, and then Molly came in today and said, hey, have you guys seen this thing called Lolly? And what Lolly is, it's actually an application for your phone. Um, and I'm gonna read it right from the website because you know they'll do a better job explaining it. But Lolly is a Bitcoin reward site and a browser extension. So if you've seen like the thing called Honey or any of that stuff that goes in your browser to search for discount codes, um, it's an extension that lets users earn Bitcoins when they shop from par partner merchants. So it's almost like, I remember when the 529 plans rolled out in Iowa and you could get like a debit card and every time you buy something, you got a cash reward back. Well, this is more, this is a Bitcoin reward back from the merchant. So we're starting to see all of this new technology, which 
I feel like it's just happened in 18 months. It's been there. And I don't know if it's because people have been stuck at home, they've had to research this stuff, or they've just used technology so much more in the last 12 months of their life than they probably ever have. That's, just from yeah, ordering that's, groceries that's think, yeah. that they're becoming aware of all these things going on. So it's called Lolly. The website's Lolly, L-O-L-L-I.com. I'm going to check it out. I don't know anything about it, but Molly brought it up and she's like, I already have some fractional Bitcoins. I'm like, well, that's cool. How'd you do it? So I wanted to learn about it. Um, other things changing today, actually from a individual investor standpoint, um, some things proposed today could potentially have massive impacts for people listening to the show. And a couple of things happened today. Today, Bernie Sanders actually proposed his new estate tax plan, um, and it's pretty progressive. I don't know if you had much time to look at it, Elias. Um, I read a short article really fast to get the gist of it. Um, but this is something, I mean, we'll definitely, if it ends up becoming law we're going to have to get schooled in it especially living in the midwest where we there's a lot of people that have big estates here because of all the farmland in our state and then the surrounding states as well well and what what they're really trying to do in this is bernie sanders is trying to restore the estate tax exemptions back to pre-2009 levels so right now if you're a husband and wife you each get an exemption of north of it's 11.7 million each which means you can have a net worth of $10 million as a household and pay no estate tax. What Bernie Sanders has said he'd like to do and proposes a bill is to roll this back to $3.5 million per person. So now that same $10 million estate, okay, that this family has, they only have $7 million shielded from estate tax. So $3 million becomes yeah. taxable from an estate tax purpose. Um, more significantly, he wants to raise the actual estate tax percentage that's taxed. So um, currently it's at 40%. Um, he wants to raise that to 45. For estates bigger than 10 million, he wants it to go to 50%. And for estates more than 50 million, 55 over a billion, 65% would be taxed. So if you're someone worth a billion dollars, which I I don't know if anybody worth, is worth a billion listening to the show, but if they are, you're given 65 you know, you're going to be giving up $650 million to the federal government if you have a billion-dollar estate. Now, I don't want to scare people, but what it means is if you've done a really diligent job savings and you have a family net worth north of $10 million or $7 million really, you should really start talking with your financial advisor and looking at your financial plan and figuring out, does this affect me? And if it does, how do we deal with the problem? Um, it's kind of like I talk to people about uh, identity theft a lot. It's not if it's going to happen, it's when and how you deal with it. So if you have a high net worth, it's not if there's going to be a problem, it's just how you'll deal with it if and when there is. Um, so I have an idea that there's going to be a lot of meaningful conversations starting to happen between the high net worth clients we work with um, and us and their attorneys and their tax people. Yeah. Well, and just like every aspect of financial planning, right? The more proactive um, people can be the better your the better positioned you'll be, especially um, for the long term for your family. Yeah, and so another tax proposal out today. Joe Biden put his out, where he wants to raise the corporate tax rate to twenty eight percent. 
increase taxes on families earning over uh, 400,000. And it's not 400,000 per person, it's 400,000 as a household. And that was kind of unknown in the beginning of this. Um, there's some other proposals that had been talked about prior to today. I don't know if they're still on the table, but one was the way in which they treat 401ks. And um, instead of deducting the 401ks, potentially treating those as tax credits, um, which actually would hurt high income earners. So I think the thing that I've learned this week, because so much stuff has been in flux, we should all be prepared for change. I yeah, mean, change is right, going to right, happen. Yep. Um, we actually were working on a show for uh, for student loan, forgiving student loan debt. And I saw these tax proposals today and I started thinking about, well, how are we going to pay to forgive student loans? Like, if you think about all this stuff, we, we have the pandemic and now we're going to forgive student loans and they already want to raise taxes. Like, what is going to happen and what's your plan going to be? And it's a really good reason that somebody should be building a financial plan. And if you did one five years ago and put it in a drawer like most people do, you should get a hold of your financial advisor. You can get a hold of us at btwellshow.com. Let's polish it up. Let's turn that static plan that's been sitting in your drawer for five years into more of a dynamic plan that we can start to answer questions about what can happen in the future, model future tax changes, and really try to put people on the right track to be successful because we all know things have changed in the last five years. So if there's no update to your plan, well, is it still good? Hopefully it should be better because we've had good markets, but I don't know based upon individuals, personal right, situations. Individual situations, yeah. Well, and I guess it, it's kind of good news, bad news. Bad news is there's proposed tax increases. Um, Good news, it's not, we're not going to unknown tax brackets. This is gonna be very similar to before the 2017 bill. So I guess, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure people will be upset if taxes go up, but it's not an environment we haven't been in before. And for most families, if you're making less than 400,000 a year, the way everything reads right now, your taxes won't be going up. So I guess that's a good thing. It's not, not everyone's taxes will get raised, but if in a sense, if corporate taxes gets raised, you know, that's going to be less money for wages and stuff like that. So, you know, we'll see. But like you were saying, it's just more, it's more of a reason to get a plan and make sure you're organized, make sure you know what you're doing and your money's going into the right buckets and all those type of things. What I'm going to be curious about if they change the tax rates, you know, there are things that happen when they, when the Tax and Jobs Cut Act um, that Trump, the Trump era administration put in, they changed and took away some deductions for um, primarily high income people and um, democratic states. Uh, it's more specifically the SALT, the SALT deduction, that's the, the state and local tax deduction. So they limited your state tax and your property tax deduction on a federal level to $10,000. So my question is, will they increase that? Because if you add up with most people, in New York City pay for local property tax and state income tax, it's well north of $10,000. I mean, even here in Iowa, you know, if you have had a nice house, your property tax bill is not cheap. If you're in a good wage, you're paying more than 10,000 state and local tax. Um, so I'll be very interested to see what else comes with that bill. And I'm sure it's gonna be um, highly, highly negotiated and probably a fight due to, you know, not a complete, power play by the yeah. Democratic Party. Yeah, it'll be, and it's going to be hot topic on the news. It's going to be talked about 
um, you know, I guess until it's resolved, it'll be a hot topic, I would imagine. Well, and if tax rates change, and this is goes back to having this dynamic plan, you know, one of the things in our planning software, it always asks people is, are, do you plan to move states in retirement? And most people don't really understand why I'm asking that question. They're like, well, I just don't know. Why does that matter? Well, we live in Iowa. Our state, ta the top state tax brackets over 8% for our state of Iowa income tax. It changes dramatically for people if they move to Texas because they're saving a pretty large portion of money on state taxes every year. Imagine if your federal tax bill changed five or 6% in one direction, it's gonna have a change on your financial plan and the outcomes that are assumed. So one of the things the software we use does is it updates all the new tax legislation, the new tax brackets to change the long-term outlook. So people don't think about that. They think, oh, well, I did this great plan five years ago or three years ago or whatever it was, and I'm on track. I've hit my rate of return goal, right? I haven't made any mistakes by getting out of the market and selling at a bad time. It still doesn't mean you shouldn't review it because once again, things have changed. Tax brackets have changed. It may affect you in a negative situation. It probably won't, but it'd sure be good to know and have a little bit better sense of financial confidence that those changes don't affect you. Because once again, it goes back to what the goal of this media is, and it's purely to scare people. So they have to tune in tomorrow. And we, you know, we're just kind of talking about things that are changing. And the other thing that I've noticed and that's changing is for the last 30 years, we have been in a bond bull market. We've told people for a long time, rates can't go lower, they keep going lower. And something that's happened in the last 60 days, and people are gonna see this on their statements, the 10-year treasury has went from 0.71% to about 1.62%. So it's jumped pretty quickly in 60 days, and that's the one being traded um, through the futures exchange. But what people don't realize, and if they may not remember, is there's an inverse correlation between bond prices and bond yields. And as the bond yield goes up, the price of those bonds go down. So if you look across most bond asset classes this year, they're negative or yep. near negative or a minutely positive return. It really depends on what kind of bonds you own. But the longer duration bonds that did what really well last year, long duration bond did really well last year. And then the duration is purely the length or how long the bond is, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. We're starting to see this drop in value of those bonds at this time due to improve, we believe there's improved market conditions. But I want people to be prepared that when you look at your statement, it's okay if they're down for a short period of time. Don't panic and get out of them. But you do need to rethink why you have bonds in the portfolio. And there's really only two reasons people keep bonds in their portfolio. It's one, to generate income, which arguably there's very little income to be generated from a bond today. And two, it's for safety. Well, we need to be careful what bonds we're using for safety because if you're using a longer duration bond, it may not be as safe as you think. So one thing, if you're listening to the show, if you know, you're know you not sure what you have, go to the website btwellshow.com, 
click get an advisor and ask an advisor a question and we'll be happy to look at your account tell you what what your kind of hidden risks are out there um, and then we can probably build that into a context of a financial plan but people will be surprised by this because bonds have done well the last yeah. two and three years and at some point they're going to go down in value it doesn't mean they're staying down forever but people shouldn't be surprised people shouldn't panic but they may want to make small changes if it fits their goals and priorities going into the future. Right. So the, so I guess my question is for bond investors, people that have bonds in their portfolio. So we are, we should see rising interest rates, which means the price of the bonds will come down. So lose a little bit of value. Can you just talk about like in the short term, it's not going to feel good. Right. But, in general, in the long term, with bond yields coming up, is that a good thing for bond investors? Well, it's a good thing for income investors, right? If you okay. think about, I think about the generation that's retired today, and you've got people who are in their 60s and 70s. They had to borrow for their first home at the highest interest rates we've ever seen, right? I mean, yeah. they, 7, 10, 12%. Today, they're having to retire on the lowest interest rates we've ever seen. I mean, they got the, the bad end of both. They've got the bad stick, end of bo yeah, I mean, both the, deals there, yeah. The good news is they were diligent savers, so they've made up for it. Where my generation, we borrowed money at the lowest possible cost we've ever seen, probably right. the worst savings rate. And you know, it's arguable there will be some type of inflation. I don't know if we'll ever see the inflation that we saw in the, the 70s, but I don't know. But for an income investor, yields coming up is good for them because most income investors, if, if you've got a half a million dollar portfolio and you want to generate 20,000 of income, which is just 4%. And I think people look at a 4% return on like a bond or a, a CD and they're like, oh, that's really high. In 2002, you could get a savings account that paid you 5%. The historical average rate on cash is over 5%. We've just been in this really right. low market. In, yeah, we're just in such a low environment that that's how we respond now. Right, and yeah. think about, so that same person who has a half million dollar investment portfolio that's trying to generate $20,000 of income. Well, if they can't do it in bonds, where do they have to do it? They either have to buy lower quality bonds, they have to go to preferred stocks, or you know, dividend paying companies. And the old adage, the higher the dividend, the more risk it has. Right and right, and yeah. we I can think back to investments five six seven years ago, you know MLP funds paying seven eight nine ten eleven percent distribution paying, rates yeah, paying a great dividend. Yep, they look great. They look good for a couple of years, and what happened? Seventy five percent down in value. So yeah, just, don't yeah, get suckered in. Sector, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's people don't get suckered into. Oh, my bond investments went down. Let's look somewhere else and start to reach for yield. Because usually when you reach for yield, you start to take excess risk. It's really more maybe we got to look at more of a total return portfolio than just, hey, I have to have this pay this dividend yield. But rates right. coming up should be good for income investors who rely on the income, you know, to live on on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, good news. Anyone listening to our show, they can call and come meet with us and get a plan and we can help them do all that stuff. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's a good news for our listeners. That's what we're here for. We're here to help people. We tell people that every day. Um, 
with that said, I appreciate you having you back, Elias. I'm glad you actually didn't break any bones in Aspen like I did. That's my – when I go skiing, and I'm going to continue going skiing, my number one goal and priority is do not get hurt. So I can buy new pants. My pants rip, I can get new pants. But if I break a bone, that causes a level of stress and logistics in my life I just do not want to deal with. Well, I can tell you if you break your arm, you don't think that's a big deal until your wife has to help you do every fast of your life. And fortunately, <laughs> I did that before I had kids. Um, but she's like, this is crazy. I mean, you don't realize what that second arm does for you. So right. we should all be fortunate if we have two arms to use that are working. Yeah. Uh, with that said, thanks for listening to the Behind the Wall Show. Um, you can get us at btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.